Well, we're looking at Jacob's story, Joseph's story next month. Of all the patriarch stories, Jacob, Isaac before him, Abraham before him, the patriarchs of Israel, this one stands out that Tawny just read to us because a couple of things happen here. Uh, and, and they're both uh, simultaneously and, and they're both related. One is that Jacob comes to fully own God's promise to him. And Jacob also comes to fully own who he is before God, who he really is. And then we're going to take this story under those two headings. Jacob here fully owns who God promised to be for him, and he fully owns who he was before God. That's our one-two today. That's what happens in this story to Jacob, and what needs to happen to each one of us also. So first, we see in this story, Jacob fully owns who God has promised to be for him, that God's promise was not just something he possessed that he was in possession of as the one who was chosen over his brother, that God's promise to him wasn't just something he prayed from, it wasn't just something he invoked when he was in trouble, he lived into it, the promise of God to him, that he would make out of Jacob many nations. He lived into this promise so much so God could wound him and he would still cling to God and that's a remarkable thing to say about somebody as self-absorbed as Jacob was. You don't hurt people like Jacob and, and they uh, go on with you typically. Now we were in chapter 29 last Sunday and so we're in chapter 32 today. We're taking his story in pieces <clears throat> and between there and now Jacob's family has grown get a note of that in the first part of the text where we picked up this morning in verse 22. His flocks and herds have grown. His wealth has grown. And now he's on his way back to the homeland promised him because that was part of the, the promise, part of the blessing from his father Isaac, from his grandfather Jacob, from God or from his grandfather Abraham through Jacob was uh, land and seed. That's part of it, and so he's heading back now to the homeland because things with Laban, his father-in-law, are completely untenable now. They have to separate, but Esau is up ahead. We didn't read the first 21 verses, but that's what tells us in this chapter that Esau is up ahead, and it's unavoidable. They're going to have to meet these brothers who had not seen each other for years, and Jacob is told, again in the first part of this chapter, your brother is coming with 400 men. And Jacob believes, well, this is it. Um, if he's got that many men with him, then he's going to exact his revenge. Jacob is fearful of the worst. And he prays about it. Now, we started with verse 22 to 32, but let's look back in chapter 32. Your Bible's still open there. Look back at verse 9. Jacob has learned that Esau is coming and Jacob says, verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him 
that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What's Jacob doing? He's praying the promise God made to him, but he's still afraid. And that's why, verse 24, Jacob is alone and he's also afraid. He has calculatingly sent his family across this river ahead of him, knowing he could lose half of them, if not all of them, the next day if Esau attacks. And Jacob prays God's promises to him in these verses we just read. But he's still got to live into these promises. You can pray all kinds of things and not even be engaged with God. He's got to live into these promises. He's got to really own them. And how's that going to happen? Well, it's going to be a fight. Everything was in Jacob's life, not a roadhouse fight, punches thrown, but rather him wrestled to the ground by this man who appears out of the darkness of night to wrestle with Jacob all through the night. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary martyr back uh, in the 1950s, uh, martyred by uh, the tribe in Ecuador that he and his colleagues were trying to reach. Jim Elliott was a famous, or was a champion college wrestler. And someone asked him if he really liked wrestling. I mean, after all, it's a hard sport. No better way to turn your ears in a cauliflower, you know, than, than to wrestle. Uh, this is not WWE kind of stuff, Jerry the King Lawler. Is he here this morning, by the way, one of, one of the families? No. Uh, if he is, welcome. Uh, this is not suplexes off the top bell buckle kind of stuff. I watched all that growing up. College wrestling. Uh, Jason Seville, one of our missionaries, was a college wrestler at West Virginia, and, and he talked about it kind of like Jim Elliott talked about it. So, so Jim Elliott is asked, do you really like this? And he said, before the match, I'm terrified. During the match, I'm in agony. After the match, I'm exhausted. But yes, I love wrestling very much. <laughs> I love that. Before the match, I'm terrified. During the match, I'm in agony. After the match, I'm exhausted. But yeah, I love wrestling. I don't know that we'll find a better way to frame this narrative of Jacob fully owning who God promised to be for him than that. I want to take Jim Elliott's description of his college wrestling and lay it over this story. Because what happens here is God essentially says to Jacob, you love wrestling. You love this. Meaning what? You love keeping a tight hold on your life. You love wrenching your way forward. You love keeping yourself in the center, man. You love making sure that you get what is yours. And so now I'm going to call you Israel. As this will be the character of the people who come from you, they'll be just like you, but they'll be mine and I'll be theirs. Jim Elliott's words, I'm terrified before the match. I'm in agony during it. I'm, I'm exhausted after it. God finds Jacob this night terrified. He's going to meet Esau the next day and does not know what his brother will do. And during the wrestling, there's the agony of, 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 of the hip displaced, walked with a limp the rest of his days. And then if wrestling through the night wasn't exhausting enough, 
The blessing of God did not mean Jacob would be spared exhausting trials ahead. They're going to come to him, this blessed one. Hard things are still in store. You know, it helps. It will help you abundantly. It will help you to fully own, to have fully owned, which in in some sense, this is perpetually present tense. It, It starts at a point in time, but it will help us all to have fully owned who God has promised to be for us in Christ when you come to realize just how terrifying life can be, just how agonizing daily experience can be, just how exhausting it can be to deal with some of the things that we have to deal with in this world. And, and there's a storyline of this all through the Bible. All through the Bible, you find God's people encountering things going wrong. You find people who are promised something by God, and, and some of them never see the fulfillment in their lifetime. You find people in all kinds of agony, people who felt forsaken by God. They're in these pages. They feel forsaken by God, and yet they still love Him. They still seek him. They still obey him. Examples abound. We could point to Abraham. We could point to Job. We could point to David. We could point to one of the prophets, Habakkuk, Jeremiah. We could point to to Peter. We could point to Jesus himself. All staking their lives, despite evidence to the contrary at points, staking their lives on who God promised to be for them each one. And Jacob, here in Genesis 32, he's just sent his wives and his children before him, hoping Esau will not kill them. They're bearing gifts, and they're going to come in a very humble posture. We are your servants. We're coming through your place here. But he doesn't know. He's afraid Esau might with these 400 men with him who would all be armed. It's a small army. That's how it worked back then. And God shows up this night in in Jacob's loneliness and his fears. God shows up to actually bless him further. But this almost goes like, well, I'm going to wrestle you for it. (laughs) It's almost like that. You have to wrestle me for this. It's not quite like that, but it has that feel. I mean, what's going on in this? This This is kind of odd. The text is ambiguous about the man's identity, this one who wrestles Jacob to the ground, but there are clues. For instance, his wrenching Jacob's hip from his socket by by mere touch, and by the way, I have to say to my executive pastor, I am sorry for this particular text with as much hip issues as you've had. You've got PTSD over there. Uh, the, The Hebrew word for touch in verse 25 is the Hebrew word that conveys the lightest touch. It's just a touch. It's barely putting your finger on it. And this guy's hip is out of socket for the rest of his life. That that says that the one wrestling Jacob is someone of superhuman strength for whom a a death blow would be (laughs) no difficulty. Jacob's whole story is is grace-infused. But the grace in this story, it's in the spoken blessing to come, which we're getting to, but... Also, this man who clearly is no mere man, so much stronger than Jacob, allows Jacob to pin him. Verse 25, 
When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he, he touched his hip socket again, just light touch, just, just barely touches a finger. And, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he says to Jacob, verse 26, as the light is breaking of a new day after a whole night of this, let me go. The man says that. Now we should expect Jacob to be the one saying this, especially after the hip is out. What pain. Why isn't Jacob the one saying, let me go? Is is this why you've broken in on my life to do this to me? Instead, it's God saying, let me go. And Jacob says, I won't. Not until you bless me. In other words, I really want who you are to me. I really want who you've promised to be for me. See, we tend to put the emphasis, and for good reason, we tend to put the emphasis more on how God won't leave us. Jesus, other name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Important, vital truth. But in this story, we find Jacob owning God's ownership of him this way. In a literally hands-on, clutching grasping way God even gives him a limp and Jacob stays with God God gave Emmanuel permanent scars and Emmanuel stays with us it's already dawned on Jacob as day is breaking who this is he says end of verse 30 I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered now later in Exodus God tells Moses who asks to see God's face and God says can't happen nobody can see my face and live and so note in the context the wrestler is leaving before the sun comes fully up it's it's barely daybreak they've been face to face through the night but it's dark and so as morning is is dawning it's it's a kind of mercy rule here God cannot uh, allow his face to be seen. It, it's, it, Jacob can't see God's face and live. Ask me to explain that. I don't know. What would he vaporize or something? I don't know. Until the incarnation of Jesus, no one could see the face of God and live. Mysteriously but undeniably, Jacob wrestled with some form of the person of God who wouldn't tell Jacob his name when Jacob asks for it but it's so telling when Jacob tells God his name and let's turn to the significance of that now the second point Jacob identifying himself that Jacob owns fully who he really was before God he owns who God promised to be for him he fully owns that in this story he lives into the promise from here on But he also owns who he really was before God. And it happens right here in the wrestling with God. And it's often that way, by the way. How we come to own who we really are before God, not just parroting what somebody has taught us to say, but coming to the point where we ourselves before God say, you should have nothing to do with me, and yet you do. And, and the grace of God is not just a concept for us anymore, 
but it's something that is now getting into our person in a way that, that animates us. It's often in times and places in which we're wrestling with God that this happens. And we start to realize we're wrestling with God. It, it, it may be that we want something from Him He's not giving. We've demanded something. I must have this. Or we're trying to make some, some kind of sin work for us. We, we ask God to, to, to give us this liberty and we know He won't give it to us, though we want it anyway. And in the midst of processing that, we finally say to the Lord, I am no one you should have anything to do with. And that's actually a very good day. See, the text as we have it in Genesis, it's conveyed no ambiguities about Jacob. Grace comes to a me-first guy who spent his life wrestling everybody. This is Jacob's story. Jacob wrestled in the womb. Remember chapter 25? In the womb of Rebekah, she goes to inquire of God because she says, hey, it feels like there's two in here and they, they don't like each other very much. They're wrestling. And then he wrestles the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau because he had to have what he was after. He wanted Isaac's blessing, the blessing of his father. He wanted to best Esau. Jacob wrestled Laban and Leah for Rachel. But it's in the wrestling through the night with this man who was no mere man that Jacob comes to see behind all of his wanting was one he wanted most of all, God himself. I will not let you go until you bless me. It's so telling what Jacob says when he's asked his name. Verse 27 and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, you have to key on this because remember the last time in a Genesis narrative, Jacob was asked his name. Who are you, my son? Isaac said. I am, <clears throat> I am Esau, your firstborn, Jacob answered. Now here in verse 27 of chapter 32, God says, tell me your name. And the answer is direct, Jacob. Why is that significant? Because in the Bible, names are associated with the nature of the person. And so what is going on here in the narrative is God is actually saying, what kind of person are you really? And Jacob, in giving his name, because of what his name came to be associated with in his character, Jacob says, what kind of person I am? I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I will fight whoever for what I want. And God says to that, in renaming him Israel, yeah, all true. And by the way, you're also terrified. And right now you're in agony, not knowing what tomorrow brings, and, and you're exhausted. And I'm the only one who can do anything about that. And so know for sure, Jacob, you are going nowhere without me. It's incredible grace. Would Jacob hold on to it? Yes. By owning who he was before God, there was no more hiding for Jacob. That's a good day too for us when you stop trying to hide who you are from God. You can't do it. We still try in various ways, some of which we're not even aware of. We can't hide from God. We can't cover what we've done so he can't see it. You can't disguise yourself or dress yourself up or, or, or shift the blame to others for who you are. We'll, we'll find it prudent 
to hide things from one another because we're not all safe for one another. But when Jacob states his name and that after asking for the blessing, he is in giving his actual name and what it communicated about him, Jacob is saying, this is who I really am, it's true, but if you are who you really say you are, I want all of you that I can get. I will not let you go until you bless me. And God does just that. He actually speaks more blessing into Jacob's life. There it is, the end of verse 29. End of verse 29, and there he blessed him. It's one of the most moving places in all of Scripture, I think, because blessing in the Bible is always verbal. God spoke words of love and encouragement and grace right there over Jacob, into Jacob, in the midst of the sweat and the dust and the torn clothing. And though Jacob was permanently lamed, he was permanently filled. What would it be like to hear God speak such words over us? And we'd love to hear it audibly, yes. We'd love the heavens to open and just as Jesus had at his baptism, this is my beloved son. That's words of blessing. Words of blessing are words of love and grace and encouragement. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What would it be like to hear that? We do hear it through Scripture. We have to listen. We have to learn how to listen to Scripture. We have to learn how to believe Scripture. You know, we don't have to puzzle over the language in verse 28 here. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And up in verse 25, when the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he puts this wound on him. You say, well, that, that sounds odd. I mean, who can prevail over God? It, it means in context, Jacob is not going to let God go. He's not going to say to God, you want too much. Why have you invaded my life? He's going to hold on. Instead of Jacob being the one to say, let me go. I don't want any more of you. Jacob knows God is the only one who really knows him to the full, inside out, and yet still wants him. And how could you not want a God like that in return? That's the God we get. Some of you this morning, you're disappointed with your children. I've heard from a few of you because him or her or they seem nonchalant about their faith. They don't really care about the Lord like you do. Or you may be one of those people yourself. You may be one of those raised in a Christian home and you're still in proximity to the church. You still show up, but you, you have questions your parents didn't have and you reside in some ambivalence toward God, but keeping this sort of on the parent angle, Christian Parenting 101 is to tell our kids they need to love God. You need to love God. You need to recognize how good of God to, to, to make Jesus Christ accessible to you, giving you access to Him, but, but it's secondhand from us to them. They have to own it themselves, and sometimes they don't. 
unless or until something requires them to wrestle with God. And, and some of our kids, God hasn't yes, yet wrestled them to the ground in blessing. I mean, some of them, all they've known is Christian affluence and safety and fun, and that's not the same thing as God's blessing. I don't mean to make this dramatic, but most, if not all of the people I know who worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength have some kind of limp. They have been hurt. Something in their life. They've lost, they live with a disappointment, an unremitting sadness that doesn't lift, and maybe they blamed God for it for a while, but then realized in the midst of all of that, they got to some other side with it, though it, it still continues, but they realized, I, I didn't let go. <laughs> I'm still holding on. I'm still seeking Him. I, I'm not leaving. I'm not going away from God. I'm staying. I'm, I'm following Him, even if nobody else in my family does. A walk with God like that will often feel like limping along. There are problems God may not keep you from. There are some who try to find, try to feel, try as they might to, to feel the joy of the Lord. They never quite feel like they get it. And what do you do about that if you're one of them? <laughs> you return again and again and again to the verbal blessing of Scripture. You go back again and again and again to all the places in Scripture where God speaks to you, of you, words of love, words of grace, words of blessing, and you work on your belief. And you say, this is mine, even when I don't feel like it is. Even when I don't feel worthy of it, God already knows who I am, and He's not going to let me go, and I won't let Him go either until He blesses me. Jacob, the name, it meant deceiver. It came to mean that. And you know what comes with that? Being exhausted. Being ter uh, in terror that somebody's going to find out that, you, that you're not who you present yourself to be, that, that somebody is going to know at some point that you're really the fraud that you know you are. That's what comes from being deceptive and manipulative and always needing what you think you must have no matter what. God already knew all this about this guy and kept dispensing grace to him. I mean, what a picture. There's God pinned under Jacob. Try to get your mind around that. Asking him his name. And Jacob gives it. He says, this is how it is with me. I'm deceptive. I'm manipulative. But I'm also yours. I see this now. What a fool I've been. I now see that you're the one I've always wanted. It's, it, it's echoes of, of Job later on. Though he slay me, yet I trust him. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Jesus in the garden. Paul asking the Lord, uh, take this thing away from me. And God saying, I, I won't take it away, but I will give you sufficient grace for it. I will bear you up in it. You, you don't own who you really are before God to wallow in it. 
to make excuses for it, to glory. And we don't glory in our shame. We don't own who we are before God, all our faults, to protect our faults. That's not honesty. Whatever we wrestle with, there, there's still a lot about me I don't like. There's still a lot about me I don't want. Whatever it is we wrestle with, we don't let God go. And why not? It's because of his grace. Yes, we put the, the greater accent on he doesn't let us go. But this story is about the hold we learn. I won't let him go. I can't get grace anywhere else in this world. I can't. I think of Peter saying to the Lord when he asks, you want to leave too? He says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. I'm going to stay put. That's not glorying in my own strength to say that or acting like I can't fall. It is personally owning who God has promised to be for us in Jesus. It's, it's knowing I don't have to hide myself from God. Because the one who spoke these blessing words onto Jacob, over Jacob, into Jacob, he would come again later. Not in the kind of superhuman strength that can touch a, a hip socket and wrench it, but with healing strength, but also great vulnerability. The word made flesh, still full of grace and truth, never to live up to his name, Emmanuel, but to live out his name into us. Greatest blessing we know. He invites us to respond to his graciousness to us by owning the truth about who we really are in our sin when we face him. Because when we face him, the face we see coming back is a face of grace even if we limp, especially if we limp. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story and for how it assures us that the God of grace we hear about is indeed that God. And we thank you for what you accomplished in the life of your servant and for how he responded and for what you're accomplishing in our lives as well and that we would continue to respond. We would not let you go. We are grateful, Lord, that the heavier emphasis in Scripture is on you're not letting us go. But there's a response for us to make. And our response is to not let you go and to hold on and to, and to take what we have to go through. And not to take it uh, and not seek wisdom and counsel and fellowship and encouragement and, and all the rest of it. Lord, we don't read any of these stories in isolation. But in reading this story, Lord, thank you for bringing us all back again to the truth that we don't have to hide anything from you. And we can anyway, but we still have that reflex. We still want to clean ourselves up. We still want to say, you know, hey, Lord, I did better this week. So, so then this ought to happen. And it's just um, the, the 
strategies of appeasement are ours. <laughs> we really act like we're worshiping a little idol that we can control. Not the God who does surprising things, like in this passage. Who, who does this kind of stuff, Lord? You do. It's wild. Forgive us for taming you and for thinking because uh, our theology is sound. You know, we have you housebroken. Uh, Lord, forgive us that. Stir in us again a passion for you if that has grown cold. If we have questions that we wouldn't linger in ambivalence, we would seek answers. And we would go to wise people who aren't going to necessarily tell us what we want to hear, but they're going to tell us what the truth is and that you would develop in us the kind of hold on truth. You don't call us to grandstand, Lord. You don't call us to a WWE expression. You don't call us to leap off the turnbuckle. But sometimes you call us into rings we don't want to be in. And oftentimes, what happens in that ring builds our faith in ways that we did not want and we would not seek. But we come out of the place with a stronger hold on who you've promised to be for us in Christ. And that is what we ultimately need most of all in living this life. So we ask you for that. We ask that you would bless us this way that Jacob asked. And we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.